Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best tech leaders in the world to help you scale from 2 million to 100 million ARR. Uh, today, we have a very special guest. His name is Donald Stoutwer, the partner of uh, Global Founders Capital. Donald, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. And Donnie, you have an amazing experience. You you are early stage uh, investor. You have you were the co-founder. You co-founded the City Deal. You exited City Deal to Groupon. Then you have been setting international offices for for Groupon as as VP of International, the European office and the Asia office. And you also led business development at Airbnb globally, uh, and you have also launched multiple offices uh, again. And you have advised multiple uh, early growth efforts, namely at um, Andy. So uh, it's, it's really an amazing experience, uh, and it's really a pleasure to have you uh, on the show. How, how did you win that global founders capital? Um, so I was very fortunate to have stayed in touch with old friends from my investment job in London back in the day. Uh, the um, Samware brothers out of Germany, who are, you know, probably the world's best entrepreneurs and um, investors in terms of internet, um, and you know, done an amazing job with big businesses like Zalando, you know, HelloFresh, and a whole variety of others. Um, and you know, we'd stayed in touch over the years, and you know, I was afforded the opportunity to join Global Founders Capital right as it was sort of coming together uh, three years ago. That's, that's really awesome. And, and what is Global Founders Capital and what is the investment thesis? Yeah, Global Founders Capital is a billion two global fund. Um, you know, we invest in promising entrepreneurs worldwide. We like to invest in, you know, folks who've done it before, folks who can articulate incredible visions, um, you know, folks who have a level of authenticity to what they're going after because, you know, they're just so passionate about it. They can't hold themselves back. Um, you know, really, you know, we want to be, uh, you know, the most entrepreneurial investors in the world, um, rather than, you know, sort of call it standard finance asset pickers, uh, because we ourselves have, you know, built businesses and are entrepreneurs. It's something that I like to, to discuss on the show when, when, uh, when we have investors, it's really that, uh, in, in, in the past and, and some years ago, this was this kind of the entrepreneur kind of begging, going to the investor and asking for, for an investment. Uh, and nowadays, it seems that there is much more capital available uh, and it's kind of the opposite. So the, the, the very good investors also trying to get in with the, in, 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 the, in the business of the very good founders and trying to support them. Do you have any uh, curious story about a company that you needed to fight a lot to, to be able to, to be part um, to, to work with, with the founders and, and to invest in that company. Yeah, I mean, one example uh, would be an angel investment of mine in a company called Checker, which is a background check technology company. Um, I was actually uh, playing with the Handy product and looking at sort of the back end of, you know, the call it funnel in terms of recruiting professionals for the platform. And they evaluated a whole variety of different background check technologies, you know, from Kroll to Sterling, a whole variety of others. And Checker was one that they decided to test out. It was sort of in beta mode still. Um, the uh, UI was easy. Um, you, know, you basically slide someone's ID onto 
sort of a, a splash page. And uh, within a very short period of time, you know, your professional would be background checked. You get a result versus with a lot of the other players out there. You know, mm-hmm. it took a lot longer. And, you know, inside of me, you know, sort of there's this, there's this instinct that, that, you know, this is a meaningful and sort of needed technology um, as kind of the on-demand economy was growing really, really quickly. So Uber, Lyft, you know, all these different platforms were just exploding and, uh, you know, everybody needs to be kind of background checked. So I had a, I had a strong feeling for kind of what they were, what they were trying to accomplish. Um, I actually was traveling in Europe, um, when I had this just kind of gut instinct that I needed to move on and I needed to do something. Um, you know, I wanted to invest in it. I wanted to get involved somehow. I, um, remember messaging the founder, uh, you know, he was a little surprised. He thought that I just wanted to, you know, <laughs> sign up and use the tool uh, for, you know, nice. the other businesses that, that we were advising and everything else. But, um, you know, he was also excited that, that I wanted to, that I expressed I wanted to invest, but wanted to meet in person. So I flew to San Francisco the next week. Um, you know, we uh, met for dinner. I think we spent about three hours. Uh, you know, I speak French, the founder's French. We uh, spoke uh, and it was like really fun. We connected. I told a whole bunch of stories, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, talked about ways that we could be helpful, you know, hopefully plug them into Airbnb and a variety of other different businesses we were involved in. And then um, at the end of it, uh, he uh, offered to get me a drink somewhere else. We chatted and he shuffled around the cap table and uh, let me in for a check. And that was really, really exciting because it took, you know, kind of multiple steps story. to get there, you know, a lot of effort and uh, he became a friend. So. It's exciting. Awesome story. Thanks for for sharing it. Uh, there are three main pillars that we always discuss on the show, which are about some of the ingredients that we consider critical to be able to scale successful. Those three are team and awesome leadership. Second is much more related with strategy focus and radical focus. And number three, much more related with execution, rhythms, habits. And, and starting with the first one, um, team, which is critical for uh, any investor, you typically invest in, in founding teams. It's, it's the first check, uh, mm-hmm. as you were saying before, from 500K to, to 3 million. Uh, what, what is important to you to see in a, in a founding team when you invest? I think authenticity around the vision that they have, meaning, um, you know, you have to understand if they have that excitement that um, nice. makes, you know, makes sort of their um, vision almost a reality when they describe it to you. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if they use language that uh, connotes, you know, uh, ways that they'll construct it from, you know, point A to, to Z. Um, nice. and, and if they go in detail, um, then those are all really good signs. Um, I think mm-hmm. you also have to observe the chemistry between the team members and mm-hmm. I think get an understanding that they're friends, that they feel at ease with each other. Um, and, you know, we always understand sort of folks' backgrounds, like have they built something similar in the past or sort of, you know, how does their, how does their history sort of dovetail with kind of that, that concept that they're going after? Right, right. And... It's, it's really, I believe that in terms of the personality of, of the founders and especially of, of, the, of the CEO needs to change a lot from 
stage of growth to another stage of growth. So I mean, getting to product market fit from product market fit to 2 million, 5 million ARR from 5 million to 10, from 10 to 20, 20 to 50, 50 to 100. Uh, it needs to be a kind of a different person that needs to be transformed along the way. Uh, and especially bringing to the founding team another three, five or seven elements that will make the leadership team. So uh, how, how do you help and how do you see this transition moving forward from a founding team to leadership team and then being able to change ourselves as, as the CEO to be able to, to cope with, with the pace of growth of the company? I mean, I think there are a lot of different things that kind of come into play, but what I've observed yeah. is, um, you know, first off, uh, leadership needs to come into play, i.e. the ability to, you know, have employees and, and folks uh, in a company, um, you know, pursue kind of the goals that are laid out by the management team or the founders. And, you know, that's not something that comes immediately to everyone. Um, in fact, to some people, it might seem pretty artificial. A lot of founders are, you know, very product focused and, you know, they're just obsessed with creating something that they think the world will love. But then sort of that next step is making sure that, you know, you have a, a group of people who, who sort of um, believe that and help push that as well. And so, you know, that's, a, that's an area where I think a lot of uh, founders sort of focus in and kind of need to learn more. Um, and then the second piece is um, data and making sure that things are being tracked. And, you know, that tags along mm -hmm. with kind of the leadership piece, you know, leadership, um, you know, needs to ensure that, um, you know, a team, a business are sort of tracking towards uh, specific goals, you know, whether it be sort of revenue targets or ARR targets, or, you know, um, there are a million different KPIs you can slice and dice into right. a business. Um, and then, you know, the third piece would be uh, granularity around um, KPIs and granularity around that data and really kind of looking at things from a, a nano standpoint, really seeing things kind of, uh, you know, to the kind of little lower layers and making sure that nothing slips through the cracks because you know, every detail becomes more and more important as you scale. Right, very good point. And most difficult VP to hire? Most, most important VP opinion? to hire? I mean, Most I think difficult. it depends on the strength. Yeah, it probably depends on the strengths and the weaknesses of the management team, you know, because some, you know, some, some founders can step into sort of sales roles better than, than others and product roles. But so I think it's very subjective. I think it really depends on kind of the needs mm -hmm. of the, uh, the team, the skills of the team, how to fill out kind of those capabilities. I think from <clears throat> kind of a cross section standpoint of, you know, cross section of different geographies or different kind of sectors standpoint. Um, you know, in Silicon Valley, kind of your VP of engineering might be kind of the most competitive or difficult to find because everyone's going after it. Got it. Very good point. And in, in terms of focus, nowadays we, we discuss a lot in the, in the industry, uh, one of the most well-known articles from uh, the partner of Battery Ventures, um, Agro, if I'm not mistaken on, on, on the name, uh, who says that some of the outliers of the SaaS industry, like Salesforce, Marketo, ServiceNow, and others, um, kind of uh, are aligned with the trends or with the pattern, which is the triple, two times, double, three times. They are able to go from two to six million ARR, 
6 to 18 million, 18 to 36, 36, 72, and 72, 144 or 100 million plus, so in five years. Um, what do you think about those kind of growth rates and growth expectations? That, that, that's what the industry is. There are companies that should, slow, should grow a little bit slower. Um, what is your expectation when you invest in the company? Is it really 2, 3x or even more? Or, or it depends? I mean, I'd say, you know, <clears throat> it depends on the, the sector that the, that the software is going after. Um, you know, they're, you know, really interesting sort of horizontal SaaS businesses, vertical SaaS businesses, um, and, and a whole bunch of other you know, sort of categories of SaaS. But I think, you know, we're particularly excited about vertical SaaS, um, where, you know, you're building software to, you know, pull an antiquated industry sort of kicking and screaming into the modern world in an industry where, um, everything is done in pen and paper still. And it's, you know, surprisingly, there are a lot of industries that are still uh, sort of like that. You know, if you look at like the freight, the freight industry, shipping industry, if you look at, um, you know, the agriculture industry, even, you know, even sort of elements of, um, uh, you know, automobile, uh, you know, and other industries that are, that are sort of, you know, would seem modern and would seem sort of very well run. There's not a lot of software that exists. And with sort of vertical SaaS, you know, what you end up doing is activating you know, whole portions of those industries in one full swoop by providing that software. And so, you know, you grow extremely, extremely rapidly, um, you know, and so, you know, I think that's, I think it's totally feasible what he says. And I think that, you know, in terms of growth rates or whatever else, um, a lot of, a lot of those come, a lot of the metrics come almost immediately because the software is, you know, solving such an important, um, problems and, and is being applied to such you know sort of broad use cases uh for example i mean we're investors in a company um called cedar.ai which is a commercial rail SaaS software business and you know commercial rail is it, it's a massive industry in the u.s berkshire hathaway is an investor in you know several uh railways etc um but a lot is still you know on you know being done on pen and paper and is very antiquated and so, you know, Cedar is sort of activating all of it through software and, um, you know, henceforth is growing kind of very, very quickly. Very good point. And, um, and in terms of, uh, so, so your opinion is, is completely feasible and it's, it's much more about cracking a, a huge problem in a traditional industry that the software and the solution, the SaaS solution is able to, to solve and to penetrate very, very quickly. And I think so, yeah. And and um, sometimes at this stage, uh, there is something that is a little bit counterintuitive, which is to be able to double or triple, we need to open the avenues of growth and the variables. We should add more geos, more verticals, um, more... Um, how, how, what can I say? More, more segments, mid-market, small business, enterprise. And um, and at a certain moment, this will slow down, and it's it, exactly the opposite. We need to start understanding what we need to double down, uh, and and what we need to kill in order to grow uh, quicker. So, how to help the founding team or the leadership team at this stage to um, to kind of have the courage to to double down in in a few variables instead of trying to go to to broad? Or what's your opinion? 
of course it depends yeah i mean i think that kind of um there can be synergies across multiple products that um a startup builds um if there are no synergies you know if they're disparate products i think it's relatively um it's useful to to talk about how um you know you almost need to build separate businesses for each of those kind of new categories um if if they're synergistic already i think um you know may, maybe they're actually a good thing i think it's case by case and you really need to sort of dig in with the, the founding team right so very good point it can be also something positive and uh, something that's uh, some, uh, a lot of times happen is um, a scale-up that post series A or post series B raises a huge round uh, and kind of speeds up with, with, uh, with, with the, 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 the wheel to get the, the two and three X um, growth. And sometimes revenue will not follow what was expected and uh, the burn rates and, and the cash flow starts becoming a problem and then they slow down down too quickly the um, the investment and they might be uh, might be in need of uh, raising another round pretty soon and the metrics are not very pretty to go to another uh, fundraising so uh, how do you see these moments where the leadership team panic so investing a lot being super aggressive after the rounds and then kind of um getting in shock because revenue is not is not coming as a consequence um i can sort of very fortunately say that i have not been in that circumstance cool. <laughs> um, awesome. but uh you know <clears throat> i think that uh you know it's all it's always important to have sort of milestones around you know uh, making sure that a product aligns with your cash burn um that you know, you test uh, different ways to uh, drive revenue, and if um, you know certain ways don't work, then you kill then you kill those strategies and decide to not pursue them. I think, um, you know, in a circumstance like that, what I would do is, uh, you know, I'd, I'd I'd work with the management team to push out a whole bunch of different tests um, to you know understand what really drives revenue in a cost-effective way, and you know, put you know a lot more capital behind sort of those strategies um because it sounds like in that particular circumstance you know a management team's ineffective at at, at uh driving revenue uh with the capital they have good point Let, let's move to so we have discussed it kind of um in order to scale we need to have the right people on the right seats the right leadership team the right founders uh, the right leaders uh, we also need to have a very clear focus and a very clear strategy, very well articulated as, as you expressed it before. Uh, and then if we have the right team, if we have a, a clear strategy and radical focus, it's all about getting it done and learning as quickly as possible. And the rhythms and the habits and the rituals are pretty important. Nowadays in tech, everyone is doing one-on-ones, dailies, weeklies, monthlies, quarterlies annual retreats um, so what, what have been some of and here um, we might you might bring also your experience as, a, as an operator yourself uh, what were some of the rhythms that were really important for you to drive alignment to motivate people to inspire people to have everyone on the same page um, yeah I mean I think that having kind of common goals uh, that go beyond just kind of financial metrics um, I think are important. 
I think, um, you know, having things that people really look forward to, whether they be offsites or, you know, sort of powwows, uh, you know, conference calls, whatever, that brings everyone together where, you know, you can describe kind of the, the bigger vision of the company, um, you know, the opportunity to innovate across a massive industry and really just, you know, to motivate people, I think is an important ritual. Um, you know, I think team building activities are important. Um, you know, I think, you know, back at Airbnb, we would uh, work with friends of the urban forest in San Francisco, for example, and actually plant trees mm -hmm. and spend kind of significant time together on a, on a Saturday doing that. Um, you know, people had their hobbies and uh, those hobbies would bring others together. So a variety of people were DJs. And so, you know, there's a whole sort of music circuit kind of within um, the organization. I mean, I think um, things that sort of build culture are really, really important. Okay, that's very, very good points. And um, I also wanted to, to get to know a little bit more about what are the differences that you, um, that you see from being an operator, being involved as a co-founder of CTPO, moving to Groupon, then Airbnb and other startups, and now being an investor. So what was the, some of the mindset shifts that you needed to, um, to make in order to be a, a successful uh, investor uh, as well? Um, well, I mean, I think sort of as an investor, you're you know, actively supporting uh, entrepreneurs, great entrepreneurs. And if you've done it before, then I think you can ask key questions that resonate with the founders. But at the same time, I think you have to be nuanced and thoughtful and not expect that you actually know what's going on because, you know, fundamentally you're still, um, you're still in the bleachers, you're not on the playing field. So I think it's sort of a, uh, it, it's sort of, a, it's, it's a juggling act to a certain degree where you have, you know, certain information, you have certain hunches because of experience, but also you, you recognize that you don't know everything. So you have to listen really well. You have to be active uh, in terms of your listening. Um, and, you know, hopefully, you know, you end up collaborating with the founder. It ends up being, you know, they, they identify areas where you can be supportive and, and you sort of fill in those gaps. Um, and, uh, and, it's, and it's just sort of constant interplay. Very, very good. It was very interesting because when you were discussing and sharing a little bit your investment thesis at Global Founders Capital and also what do you think is really critical on, on a team and on founders, you're talking about very specific words and then you try to explain it very well. So the, the, the capacity to articulate, the obsession, the authenticity, the excitement to develop that idea that they are able to go from the strategic spheres to operational sphere and go to the detail and explain uh, everything going on. So how important is the, the total addressable markets and versus the team? So how do you balance the market size with, 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 the, with the vision of the team in terms of investing or not investing? I mean, I think it's, I think it's very subjective. I think it's case by case. I think it really depends on you know, a, a team in, in, in the market. I, I don't think that there's, there's, I don't think it's black and white. I don't think it's either ever. And I also think that there are founders who, you know, come up with sort of interesting ideas, but then decide to do something completely different, you know, six, 12, you know, 24 months later. And, and that ends up being like the, 
the, the big opportunity. So, you know, um, long story short, like, you know, I would just say it's, it's very subjective. I think it, it really has to do with, uh, you know, their, their passion and their energy kind of no matter what. Good. And if you would have to select, uh, let's say, one, two, three companies of your portfolio that you are the most excited about that will kind of disrupt industries, uh, what, what names would, would you say? See, I mean, I'm so, so excited about my entire portfolio. I have such an amazing portfolio <laughs> and such great entrepreneurs. Yeah, I, uh, I just I can't really, I can't, there's, there's, not, like there's not a single one that I, you know, that I like more than, than another. They're just, uh, I'm just really, really lucky. You know, I think you know, we've done investments in direct to consumer, you know, in sort of e-commerce, um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're invested in um, direct to consumer uh, candles, uh, a company called Otherland in New York, which is fantastic, really amazing, charismatic founders, fantastic business. And we've invested in a direct to consumer sort of barbecue grill business called Spark Grills, you know, out of mm -hmm. Denver, Colorado, incredible, creative you know, engineer, uh, founder, uh, really very exciting because there's a big open space for that in the direct-to-consumer world. Um, you've invested in, they mentioned sort of vertical SaaS businesses. Um, you've invested in, you know, AI data entry businesses like HyperScience in New York, which is growing extremely rapidly and has a, you know, fantastic, just absolute genius founder. Um, you know, we have a, a just a very exciting portfolio. That's that's really awesome, and and we are coming to to the end of the show and uh, with one of our favorite um, questions, uh, which is, if you would be starting again and joining now uh, Global Founders Capital, uh, or if you would be able to meet Don at at that time three years ago, what advice would you offer uh, to him? Um, I think again, you know, my advice would be to uh make sure that you're trying to observe a founder's energy vis-a-vis -vis what they're creating um and you know there's sort of textbook entrepreneurs if you will people who have uh put together you know really great models uh and you know sort of a scientific approach to building a company um and maybe they you know walk you through sort of building a business like a math problem uh and you know they can be really fantastic if they have um, you know, sort of that passion to go alongside all of the quote unquote work or the foundation that they've built. Um, but in other cases, sometimes, you know, there's just more of a mechanical approach. And so you don't necessarily sort of get that, uh, that passion, that energy from it. Um, you know, there are other entrepreneurs who come in cold, uh, and just tell a story and they're so obsessed with the story and you can tell that they're, you know, fingers in the finger slots and toes in the toe slots and just totally just completely you know obsessed and they live in it um and those are i think very very interesting founders to to sort of get to know um you know, there's a lot of different types of founders is, is what i've realized over the past three years i think you know three years ago i probably had some assumptions around um you know what 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 sort of made a a successful entrepreneur um, and I sort of wish I had, you know, known a lot more, um, but, you know, some of those things can only be gained through experience. Right. 
that's an amazing um, lesson for the ones who are joining and who are investing as well. Uh, Donald, it was really a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks so much for, for making the time and sharing your experience uh, with the community. Yeah, pleasure is all mine. Thank you. And to our community, thanks for being there. Uh, we keep here serving you, bringing the best people in the world, the best resources, so you can scale successfully from 2 million to 100 million ARR. See you soon and keep scaling.